Welcome to the Grace Point Podcast, a ministry of Grace Point Church for Scythe in Cumming, Georgia. To find out more about Grace Point Church, you can go to our website at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org. For the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the chance that we've had to examine these warnings that the author of Hebrews gives not only uh, to the church, but also to us. We pray as we wrap up this uh, third warning in the book that you would help us to understand what it is that the author is challenging his original audience to, but also what it is that you are challenging us to. Father, help us to understand your word more, to hide the truth of your gospel in our hearts, and to work out with our hands the things that you are teaching us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I don't think that anybody would deny that 2020 was a hard year. Uh, The word unprecedented was thrown around many, many different times. It was hard because we as uh, humanity were figuring out what is this new disease, what is its impact, not just globally, but individually on our own lives. We were figuring out what did that mean for us? Were we at risk or were we uh, a little more safe than others? But for the church, it was figuring out how to worship while we could not meet. Figuring out how to worship via video and television, live streaming or recorded. For some people in the church, 2020 became a time in which they were able to dive deeper into the Word and pursue the Lord more. The average commute pre-2020 was somewhere in the neighborhood of an hour and 45 minutes a day. And now that we were stuck at home, that gave us some of that time back. And so there were many who used that time to be in the Word more. For others, it brought about a sense of spiritual apathy or spiritual stupor because we were at home. We could watch church anytime we wanted to, when it was convenient. We could fast forward if we got to a song we didn't like or choose whatever speaker we wanted to listen to. And so many got out of the habit of church. Not just the habit of church, but the habit of faith. Many got out of the habit of being in the Word. It was a scary season for all of us, but especially for the church. And we've seen that this has continued. The impacts go on. Even though now we are gathered next to each other, not worried about how close we are, not wearing masks, there are still impacts of 2020 and COVID 
continuing. I said last week that one of the studies that Barna put out was in 2019, the average church attendance was about 156. And as of June of this year, the average church attendance was 65. That's a huge drop. But this apathy, this stupor is not a new thing. Anytime there's hardships, anytime throughout history there's difficulties, you have some who rise up and you have some who fall away. It's interesting because when we look at the history of the church, the times when the church grows the most are in times of persecution. I don't know about you, but I tend to like comfort. And so while I want the church to grow, I'm not quite ready yet to pray for persecution. Uh, That seems to be the historical standard. But we do. We do want to see the church grow. And so did the author of Hebrews. As he was writing to these Jewish Christian believers, those who grew up in the Jewish faith but had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, who were spread out across the world and who were being persecuted because of that faith. These Jewish Christian believers were tempted to turn away from Christ and turn back to the Jewish faith. And the author has again and again been telling them, Jesus is better. He tells them Jesus is better by describing how glorious Jesus is. And he also tells them Jesus is better by warning and instructing them not to fall away not to fall prey to the spiritual apathy and sloth that is all around them. We will see many warnings in the book of Hebrews, and we've already seen two that we've examined in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 3, verse 7 through 4, 13. We saw the author saying, don't neglect your salvation. Don't take it for granted that, that you were lost, but now you're found. Then in 3, 7 through 4, 13, he gave this example of the the wilderness generation who got to the doorstep of the promised land but did not believe. He challenges us to exhort one another regularly? No, not just regularly, but daily. And he challenges us to strive to enter God's rest. And in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the third warning in the book of Hebrews, which started in chapter 5, verse 11, and goes through chapter 6, verse 12. And so today we're going to look at the end of this third warning. But before we dive into verses 9 through 12, which wrap up this third warning, let's review what we've seen already in chapter 5, 11 through chapter 6, verse 8. It started in chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 3 with a warning against slothfulness. See, the Hebrew Christians should have been mature. The author of Hebrews says, you were given all that you needed to grow and to understand and to learn. And so you should have continued growing and understanding to the point where right now you should be teaching others. But he says the problem is you are stuck on milk. He uses that that illustration of as infants are born, they start in milk because they can't process the deeper, heavier foods. But as they grow and as they mature, they get to the place where they can eat solid food. 
They can have meat. They can have steak. And that's where they should be. They should be eating steak. But they're still drinking milk. He's telling them, you should be far more mature than you already are. Instead, you've fallen prey to this spiritual apathy and sloth. And it's interesting because we think today, well, you know, everybody goes at their own pace. It's not really that important. But if you rewind to the context of this letter, it was vital that Christians not just adhere to the teaching, but grow in the teaching so that then they could teach the teaching. This is the early church. In the book of Acts, we see chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells them they're going to start in Jerusalem, then Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. This is that ends of the earth beginning. And if the gospel comes to a place and people come to faith, but they don't grow, then they can't therefore go out and teach others. And so the gospel stalls at that place. And so he's saying, it is vital for our faith and for your own growth that you not stall out, that you not stay on milk, but that you mature. And so in 5.11-6.3, through 6, 3, he warns them against slothfulness, against, against the laziness that has taken hold. And then he gives a dire warning against what that laziness can lead to in verses 4-8 through 8 of chapter 6 apostasy apostasy is terrifying because it is fully turning from god phillips in his commentary the esv commentary series to sum up these verses says this we must beware of the trajectory that begins with flaccid hearing and infantile incapacity to digest god's word that's verses 11 through 6, 3, that then proceeds to a deliberate repudiation of God's Son, that's the apostasy in verses 4 through 6, and ends in a cursed and fiery destruction, which is what verse 8 said. And so verses 4 through 8 give us the warning, if you continue in this slothfulness, it can lead to apostasy, turning from the Lord, which then in verse 8 he says uh, deserves nothing but fields that don't work and deserve to be burned. Apostasy is a big deal. And so he begins by saying, you need to be maturing, not being slothful, not being lazy, not being apathetic to what you've learned. Because if you don't, then there's the danger of apostasy. And so now as we look at verses 9 through 12, we're going to see how he closes out this warning to the people. Let's look at verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. So in verse 9, we've come from this terrifying warning against apostasy. And we see comfort. The author brings comfort to his audience. He has confidence in most of them. In the Greek, the phrase, we feel sure, comes first as an emphasis, calling them beloved because he loves them. 
And so he says, we feel sure, emphasizing to them that he's confident in them. Then he reinforces this by calling them beloved. He is assured that as brothers and sisters, their foundation is in Christ. And we see this is true because he talks about these better things, things that belong to salvation. So he's warning them, you've been apathetic, you've been slothful, you haven't been growing the way you should, and if you're not careful, that can lead to apostasy, turning from God, but I love you and I know you. He begins verse 9 with comfort. Your faith is based on the better things, things that belong to salvation. You are my brothers and sisters. You are my (laughs) beloved. This section of text is not a warning that is meant to beat the audience up. It's not a warning that's meant to just make them feel bad, walk away with their tail between their legs. Instead, this is a warning. This is very true. The danger of slothfulness, the danger of apostasy. But more than anything, it's a warning to encourage them toward continued faithfulness. It's a warning to encourage them, to drive them forward in the faith that they have displayed already. And we see that continue in verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. So now the author says, you're my beloved. I trust that you uh, agree with these things. And don't forget, there's evidence of this. There's evidence of my confidence in your salvation. They are bearing fruit. That's what he means when he uses this phrase, your work. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, so as to overlook the fruit that you are bearing. But it's important to note that the confidence of the author is not in the actions of the people. He's not saying, well, thank goodness that you're saved because you did it. No, what does he say in verse 10? For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. The author's confidence is in the faithfulness of God. He will not forget the ways that we love and work for him, the ways that he has equipped and enabled us to play out these fruits of the Spirit. The way that he has empowered us to live in ways that glorify the Lord. The author is dependent upon God's faithfulness, not their works. You see, the, the fruits do show God's work in their lives. And so the faithfulness that the author has in their salvation is not because of all the things they've done, because they've earned or deserved his glory or his honor. Instead, his security is in the faithfulness of God. Because when we are trusting God, when we are uh, loving God, when God is working in and through us, we have the fruits of the Spirit. You remember Paul says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's not a complete list, but it's a pretty thorough list. 
When the Spirit is working in us, we display those things. And that is what the author is taking confidence in. The work of God in his people, working itself out amongst the community, showing that God is faithful, not only to work in and through them, but to give them what he has given them. The fruit shows God's work in their lives. It's interesting to note in verses 4 through 8 that apostates are not focused on the gospel or promises of God at all. When he talks about apostates in verse 4 through 8, he's saying they don't care at all. In fact, these verses, it's interesting, these verses uh, are a great comfort to those who are worried about their salvation, to those who are worried that they're not doing enough for the Lord or that their faith isn't strong enough or that they're on milk and they should be on meat. Because if people are worried about their faith, that's a good sign that the Holy Spirit is working in and through you to draw you to the Lord. Because apostates, those who have turned from God, don't care at all for God or his promises. And so verse 10 tells us that we know that these people have faith because of the work that God is already doing in their lives, producing fruits, and God is faithful. And then in verse 11, we read this. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So this is a people who's suffering under persecution and is tempted to turn away. The author says, look, you're not as far along as you should be. That's a danger. Because if you continue in this way, this apathetic, this slothfulness spiritually, that can lead to apostasy. Now, I see God's work in and through your lives. You are believers. You have shown the fruit of the Lord as He works through you, as the Holy Spirit enables you to do the things that He has called you to. But watch out. Earnestly continue to pursue the Lord. The author is seeking to continue to point his audience to the full assurance for God and to encourage them to be strong in that truth. He says, do this until the end. It's interesting, too, because in this verse we have this word hope. <coughs> Excuse me. As we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Hope is an important word. This Hebrew or Greek word used for hope is used over 50 times in the New Testament in different contexts and different senses, but here specifically, it means Christian hope. Hope in the gospel. It's a hope that is closely tied to faith and enduring patience, which we have talked about in Hebrews, we are talking about in Hebrews, and we will talk about in Hebrews. This Christian hope is something that we cling to. This Christian hope comes because of the gospel. Paul gives us this expansive note of what the gospel is in Ephesians chapter 2. And you, that's y'all, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which y'all once walked. 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, This is our nature from birth, one of sinfulness, one that is destined to call us children of wrath. And praise the Lord, Paul doesn't end there. And in verse 4 he says, but God, not, but God and through your work with God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. God created us in the beginning to walk with him in the garden, to be in fellowship with him, to enjoy him, to be in his presence. But then sin entered the world. We did not believe what God said that we should believe, and we did what God said we shouldn't do. And now all of us sin on a daily basis. Most of us sin on a second-by-second basis. Some of us don't realize that yet. And we need help. Help that we can't do. Paul says, this is not your own doing. We can't do enough to love the Lord. We can't make up enough for our sin. And so, God sent Jesus to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we deserve, to rise again from the dead, defeating death, and to ascend to be at God's right hand right now on the throne of grace, praying for, interceding for us as we continue to pursue His holiness and grace. This gospel that we are sinners who cannot save ourselves, but that God sent Jesus to do what needed to be done, and that by through faith in him and what he has done, we can call God our Father. This gospel is our hope. This gospel is what he's talking about in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And this gospel is what verse 11 means when it says the full assurance of hope until the end. I find it interesting, this same word is used in 1 Peter chapter 3, this word hope. In the book of 1 Peter, we see Peter writing to those who are spread out, who are uh, being persecuted, And in chapter 3, he's talking specifically about how to endure in the midst of persecution. And he says this, 
verse 14, but even if you would suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Then verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense or to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. You've heard me say this many times. This is such a beautiful and deep verse because not only does it call us to understand the gospel well enough to explain it, not perfectly, not theologically with thousands of different uh, scriptural proofs, but to be able to explain it and trust that the Holy Spirit works through His Word. But also this verse implies that we are to live a life that shows hope in the midst of suffering. Nobody is going to ask you about the hope that is in you if you don't act any different than anybody else. If you look just like everyone else, nobody's going to say, wow, you're so different. Tell me about why. But if we love the Lord and are living out of this hope of the gospel in the midst of easy life and in the midst of persecution, like in 1 Peter, we will have a joy in Jesus that is unexplainable to those around us. And when we have that joy, that's when people will say, what the heck? I just lashed you 40 times. How can you still be content? How can you still be happy? How can you still cry out to your God in joy? Let me tell you about Jesus. This hope is a hope in the gospel that is given to us and that draws us into God's presence. In his commentary, David McWilliams says, of this hope, he, the author, knows that if their convictions become unsettled, their gaze will be distracted from the certainty of hope in Christ. So why is the author writing this warning? He's writing this warning because he's afraid that because of the persecution, because of the hardship, because following Jesus is not easy and life is not a cakewalk, that they'll be tempted to turn away. That they'll be tempted to say, it was easier before I chose Jesus. And if they get distracted away from looking at Jesus, if they get distracted away from trusting in Jesus, they'll get distracted away from the hope that we have in Christ. The author is trying to make sure that we fix our eyes on Jesus. Satan is trying to distract us from looking at Jesus. And he uses the things of this world. He uses comfort. He uses fear. Well, persecution isn't easy. Maybe I should go back to not believing in this Jesus. He uses apathy. He uses all kinds of things to remove our gaze from Jesus. And the author here is telling the Hebrews, don't turn from Christ. He says, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. And then in verse 12, he says, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
We're called to grow in our understanding of the Lord by being in His Word. We're called to grow and, and not just learn it ourselves, but to teach others. And if we're not growing, if we're being apathetic towards our growth, that can lead to apostasy. And he says, you guys aren't there yet, but look, this could be coming if you lose focus. If you get distracted from looking at Jesus. Instead, persist in the faith which God gave you. Persist instead of being sluggish. This phrase, sluggish, in verse 12 is very similar to the phrase we see in chapter 5, verse 11, where he begins and he says, You have become dull of hearing. You have become sluggish. Brothers and sisters, spiritual sloth, spiritual apathy is ruinous. That, that, that could be your tagline for this whole warning. Spiritual sloth is ruinous. And so he's saying, shake off the sluggishness. Shake off the apathy. Shake off the slothfulness. Pay attention to God's truth and imitate those who came before you. That's what verse 12 is saying. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now we're going to talk more about these people that we're called to imitate in a few chapters in chapter 11. But he's saying, throw off that apathy, throw off that sluggishness, throw off that lack of care, and pay attention to God's truth. In chapter 12, he's going to say, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So he's wrapping up this section of laziness, of apostasy, by saying you are not apostates yet, but persist, pursue the Lord, so that you don't get sluggish, slothfulness, or apathetic. Because when you are sluggish, slothfulness, and apathetic, you won't grow, and there's a danger of being apostates. Now, I just want to say one more time, this is not something that we do by our own willpower or self-reliance. Instead, we do this by the full assurance of faith that we receive by looking to Jesus. That's what he means in verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. That full assurance comes at looking at Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit will work through us. But that doesn't mean that we're puppets who can be apathetic. doesn't mean that we're puppets who don't have to do anything. There is no such thing as passive Christianity. And that's what this author is warning us against. Instead, he's telling us Christianity calls us to obedience. And we can obey because of what God is doing through us. But just because we believe doesn't automatically mean we are fine. We must avoid this apathy 
and trust in the gospel. This week, Melissa shared a podcast with me, and one of the things they said that I really appreciated was that the gospel has to define you. The gospel has to define you. It doesn't just save you. It keeps you. The gospel centers you. It reminds you that you're redeemed by the blood of Jesus and that there is grace. But it also reminds us that we are called to respond to this grace with holiness. Hebrews chapter 2 doesn't end with, you're saved, la-di-da, go live life on a Ferris wheel. It ends saying that we are workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, not to earn or deserve the grace that we receive, but because of the love that God has given us through the gospel and through Jesus. The gospel must define us, not just save us, but center us, Reminding us of the truth of what Jesus has done and of the truth of our response to that. It is not just a ticket in. It's how we are called to live. So in light of the immaturity that the audience has, and in light of the danger of apostasy that the uh, author warns us about, he calls them and us to running a faithful race of faith. We're going to read more about that as we continue after chapter 11. But here he is saying specifically, don't fall prey to spiritual apathy, sloth, or apostasy. Pursue the Lord. I want to read again that quote uh, that uh, Philip said, we must beware of the trajectory that begins with flaccid hearing of an infantile incapacity to digest God's word, be careful. Because if you start down the path of just saying, eh, this is too hard, I don't want to read it, it's too too much apathy sloth, that then proceeds to a deliberate repudiation of God's Son and ends in a cursed and fiery destruction. That's the summary of what this section is talking about. Look, guys, you should be farther along than where you are. You're being apathetic. You're being slothful, which can lead to apostasy. You're not there yet, but be warned. Trust in the gospel. So in light of this, as we consider our own spiritual lives, maybe even particularly since COVID, where is the Spirit nudging you to faithfulness? Where is the Spirit pointing out to you your own apathy or slothfulness? Are there any places where you've fallen prey to sluggishness? Pray that the Lord would not only show you these areas, but would strengthen you to faithfulness and holiness. After all, in order to be asked about the hope that is within us, we have to live lives that are so unique and distinct that they stand out for Christ. So is there anywhere that the author of Hebrews, that the Holy Spirit through the author of Hebrews, is saying, hey, 
You're being sluggish. You're being apathetic. You're being slothful. May we listen to this warning that each one of us show the same earnestness to the full assurance of hope until the end so that we may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Are there places where you're being apathetic, where you're being sluggish, or where you've totally thrown off what God has called you to? If there are, pray that the Lord would not only show you those, but would encourage and equip you as you work to turn those around. Let's pray. Father, we so often are lazy, apathetic, slothful, feeling that our desires should take precedence over anything else, feeling that we can do whatever we want because, after all, you're filled with grace. Father, we know that you are filled with grace and that that is true, but we also know that you call us to faithfulness. So, Father, reveal to us where any areas of apathy are. Reveal to us where any areas of slothfulness are. And draw us into your presence. Through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, may we become more and more like you each and every day. And may we run from apathy and from slothfulness so that we never struggle with apostasy. Father, let us love your word, be challenged by it, and work through the Holy Spirit to grow in becoming more and more like you so we can truly say that our chief end is to glorify you and enjoy you forever. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We pray that you are drawn closer to God and encouraged to be in the Word. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org.